You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott, the traditional Chinese medical practitioner, keeps the alternative medicine wackos at bay. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hey, Dr. Steve. Uh, this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to take to a regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call. 347-766-4323. That's 347 uh, follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine or at Dr. Scott WM. If you're so inclined, follow Lady Diagnosis. She's not here today. At Lady Diagnosis. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Or go to our merchandise store at cafepress.com slash weirdmedicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything here with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show. Without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, or whatever. All right, very good. Hey, uh, please don't forget to go to stuff.drsteve.com, stuff.drsteve.com for all your online shopping needs. Uh, just about every product we've ever talked about on this show, I'll stick up there. And if there's something that you don't see that you'd like, for us to do a review on or something like that. We just do a real brief review and maybe a paragraph. If that, uh, we'll throw it up there. I've got a new vitamin for peripheral neuropathy, Dr. Scott, that's very exciting. Oh, cool. Um, I haven't put it up there yet, but we could talk about it a little bit. Um, don't forget tweakedaudio.com. Offer code FLUID for the best earbuds uh, for the price on the market, the best customer service anywhere. Check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. And uh, just in, in your honor, Dr. Scott, I will at this time take a snort of some Simply Herbal Sinus Rinse. Good stuff. It's good stuff. Ah, I know everybody loves hearing that. <laughs> it is good stuff, if he does say so himself. Yes. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in the um, weight loss program I'm doing, check out Noom, N-O-O-M dot drsteve.com. And uh, you can get two weeks free and 20% off. And I've already lost 20 pounds, and I'm on my way to losing 40. It's so bad that I can't fit in any of my clothes anymore, and so I just went to scrubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of buying these stupid $100 pants from Brooks Brothers, and then, and then you know, the ones that when I was really fat, uh, you know, they just look <laughs> silly on me. You know, you and I have been friends for many, many, many years it's the first time I in a long time I've seen you in scrubs. Yeah, well, I like it. I was. I thought, so I'm oh just going to save a hundred bucks a month on dry cleaning, and people are going, "Wow, you know, you look pretty good." I never get that when I'm wearing my regular clothes because I can't <laughs> find clothes that fit me right. Right. So I look stupid. 
So uh, uh, in these, I look halfway decent. So when they're black and uh, so you can't see, you know, folds and <laughs> things like that. It kind of hides hides some of the Bulges. bad details. Yeah. Bulges. And uh, if you are interested in getting archives of this show or premium content, go to premium.drsteve.com. That's premium.drsteve.com. So anyway, what's going on with you? Just enjoying this warm weather we're having this because after last week, it was so stinking cold. But now, everybody, my allergies are kind of blowing up. I've been wearing out my sinus spray, too, just Have because, you? yeah. Yeah. It's well, up I and got, down, round and round. I, I like your sinus spray a lot. I did spend that night 89 bucks to get a Navage. And I think I've talked about it on this show, but it, you know, it's fine to talk about it again, I guess. Sure. It's basically, it is to a neti pot what Pilates is, is to yoga. Mm-hmm. In other words, I, I've heard these you know, yoga masters come here from India and then they go to a Pilates studio and they're horrified by these people, you know, right. using pulleys and shit to, to pull their limbs into all these weird contortions and stuff. And um, so the Navaj is like that to the neti pot in that it uses science mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, suction and motors and things to... in to shoot saline into your nose and then suck it back out the other nose. Yep. So it goes in one nostril, comes out the other, and um, you put saline in the top, sterile saline, you use distilled water only, and they've got these little s- salt pods that you put in there. And uh, it feels great, and it's unbelievable how much crap comes out of your nose. How much is each refill, just out of curiosity? How, how much? How many dollars does yes, it? Yes. Oh, it's pennies. Okay. Because you can buy 20 of them for uh, just a few bucks okay. of the pods. Yep. And you have to use the pods. You can't just use distilled water. Right. So you want saline in your nose. You don't it's, want it's water like in your nose. It's like the damn Keurig, you know. Yeah, I know. Oh, you got to buy those gotta damn. Got to buy the damn pods. It costs 14 times what they should. Well, and they have the refillable they do now, right? pods that you can do now. Uh, use with the Keurig. But I suspect they make inferior coffee. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, so they get you buying these uh, these little um, saline pods. Right. Um, and then is that rain I hear? What's going on out there? You hear that? It may be. Yeah. yeah anyway. There's a chance of rain. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, always go It's hyper-local on a podcast. That that attracts listeners. Well, it's raining in our vicinity. I'm monitoring we the have, security cameras, and I do see rain. We have listeners in Croatia. Isn't that in something? That's pretty cool. To our to our Czech listeners, and we have a couple, uh, Heske Weekend. Heske Weekend. Heske Weekend. That means have a nice weekend. Cool. I guess they stole the word weekend from us. Yeah, they sound pretty familiar. But I'm going to the motherland someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family is ethnically Czech. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother told me that we were uh, 116th Susquehanna Native American, and I got my um, my uh, Ancestry.com, and it was a total Elizabeth Warren situation. Zero Native American. <laughs> and then my dad told me that we were converted uh, forcibly converted Ashkenazi Jews. Oh wow! And none of that in my in my ancestry either. So well, my mom and my dad, full of shit. And I think lots of families have this, where they will tell it'll get passed down. Well, we're descended from these people, and uh, for whatever reason, and it's bullshit. Yep. I think they pass down a story to make it more. Yeah, it makes yeah, it more it makes interesting. It interesting. Yeah. Instead of just. 
you know, my family, I went to Ellis Island and tried to find my ancestors coming oh, okay. through Ellis Island. Yeah. Not there. I am the I am the product of illegal immigrants. Oh. Uh, the best we can figure, they came go. from the Czech Republic and went through Canada and snuck in and then settled in Chicago. Wow. And uh, But no, there's absolutely no immigration records of my family whatsoever. And I've gone through that whole thing. Nothing. Wow. That's not cool. on my grandmother's side, not on my grandfather's side. Wow. So you guys were. Yeah. So what am I supposed to. You yeah. Know. Covert. <laughs> That's crazy. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I got an email from or a voicemail from that guy from uh, Ebola virus or what's that? Ma- a, Ebola map. maybe Ebola something map. Yep. Yep. Anyway, you can Google him. Um, but um he was saying that there was uh, there were some vaccine trials going on for the new Ebola virus. Well, I look back, and back in 2015, they did a Guinea Phase three efficacy vaccine trial. This was in the country of Guinea. I'm not making a joke about Anthony Cumia's ancestry. Um, that showed that um, this VSV EBOV made by Merck Sharp and Dome was highly effective against Ebola, and we figured there'd be a, a vaccine right around the corner. It didn't kind of turn out. So hmm. three to four years later, now uh, you can get involved in this. Cincinnati Children's uh, Hospital is conducting a trial of two experimental Ebola vaccines, and healthy volunteers are needed. So um, Cincinnati Children's is part of the international effort to stop the Ebola virus. This is coming from WCPO in Cincinnati. A trial of two experimental vaccines is now in its first phase at Cincinnati Children's. The local hospital is one of nine vaccine treatment units funded by the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And what what this phase does is test the safety of the vaccine and its ability to produce an immune response in healthy volunteer participants. So you would not be exposed to Ebola. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they're going to do is vaccine or, you know, vaccinate these people and then see if they develop an antibody against the Ebola virus proteins and uh, and show that it's safe. And, if, you know, uh, we won't know if it's effective until you get out in the field and actually use it on people. So uh, the strategy that they will use is the same strategy they use for smallpox, which is called ring vaccination. Whereas you don't try to um, vaccinate everyone in the world that's at risk like we do with measles, mumps, and rubella or diphtheria where we just vaccinate everybody. everybody right. You wait till there's a, a case. So someone has to get it. Mm-hmm. And then you vaccinate everyone around them. Okay. What you're trying to do is make a ring of immunity around these people so that the virus that's in them just dies out and is never transmitted to anybody else. Okay. Now, this requires a vaccine that works quickly, mm-hmm. you know, generates that an effective immune response quickly. And smallpox did. That's how we eradicated it. We didn't vaccinate everyone in the world. Mm-hmm. They went to places where there were smallpox outbreaks vaccinated everyone around them, everyone they came in contact with, um, and um, it was a very rapidly acting vaccine. And eventually the uh, there were no more cases of smallpox. We haven't had a case of smallpox. You might Google that. When was the last case of smallpox in the world? Okay. And, uh, you know, they're still keeping it because, God forbid, we throw anything away uh, for quote-unquote research purposes. So there are still uh, smallpox 
uh, viral particles in laboratories around the world, but no cases of smallpox. It's saying right here, um, October 26th, 1977 as of april 14th 1978 no cases of smallpox have been recorded well so it's 78 that's what it says yeah so 88 98 wow 30 years 30 years yeah that's incredible pretty cool yeah and while you're reading it i I saw just pop up on the news here a patient um in philadelphia is actually being tested for ebola oh there you go that happens yeah i think four cases in 2014 okay pretty rare um yeah, there have been several outbreaks of Ebola since 2013. The epidemic in West Africa led to more than 11,000 deaths, spread to several countries around the world. Uh, the, the the country that seemed to handle the epi- or the outbreak the best was Nigeria. Huh. Uh, they um, isolated those cases and uh, got um, you know their public health departments. Uh, working on it, and it really didn't spread much in Nigeria. So they did a they did a great job, uh, uh, a uh, job that we should all look toward when when we see these outbreaks happening. Um, so uh, to continue, researchers are looking for new ways to stop these outbreaks and to treat people who become infected and develop Ebola virus disease, says Paul Spearman of Cincinnati Children's and lead investigator of the trial. The development of preventative vaccines for Ebola is a top global public health priority. Uh, and uh, just a little background, once you get Ebola, it can be spread from person to person very easily because there's tons of body fluid, there's diarrhea, there's blood. Um, it's horrendous. Fatality rate ranges from anywhere from 30 to 90%. And uh, so the, what they're studying are two experimental vaccines, CHAD3EBO-Z vaccine. <laughs> Can they just give them a name? Mm-hmm. And the MVA-BN-Philo vaccine. And previous research shows that the two together generate potentially protective anti-Ebola uh, responses. So they're looking for 60 healthy volunteers ages 18 to 45. How old are you, Scott? Getting ready to turn 51. Okay, so you and I cannot be in I'm this out. Trial. The volunteers will be split into three groups assigned one of three combinations of the vaccines, which may include a placebo which is fine. They'll tell you at the end so you can't just go running off to some Ebola-infected country and start, you know, uh, coming in contact with people. You'll know if you're in the placebo group. And the volunteers will be needed for seven months, will be monitored for uh, adverse effects for six months after their first vaccination, and uh, then they will do blood work and see if you uh, created antibodies to the Ebola virus. Anyone interested in volunteering for the study should call them at 513 636-7699. That's 513-636-7699. And um, if you do get involved in that study, call us. We would love to hear from you. Just kind of get a step-by-step what they told you and uh, what was done. Now, there are a bunch of other sites as well. So if you call that number, uh, you should be able to find one that might be closer to you, let's say, if you're on the West Coast. All right? Very good. You got anything, Dr. Scott? Not yet. I'm working on it. No, I, I was reading He does it. his show prep when he gets here. He's <laughs> over right. there enjoying himself. Just enjoy yourself. I'll just relax. Don't worry about it. Just yeah. take a, yeah. Number one thing, don't take advice <clears throat> from some asshole on the radio. All right. Um, let's see here. Oh, well, speaking of vaccines, let's do this one. 
Hi, Dr. Steve. This is Andy in Houston. Hey, Andy. Our babe girl was born in June, and we knew prenatally that she would have Down syndrome okay. and an AV canal heart defect. What we didn't know is that in the NICU, she developed transient myeloproliferative disorder, which nearly took her life and would require her to receive chemotherapy at seven weeks old. Oh, my goodness. She fought to- that means that her bone marrow just went crazy and started producing cells uh, that it shouldn't have produced. So. That in 83 days after she was born and after chemo, a preliminary heart surgery, a collapsed lung, and other bits of fun along the way, we finally got to bring her home back in September. Fast forward to now, she's seven months old, and we came back to the hospital last week for her to have her heart defect repair, full open-heart cardiopulmonary bypass surgery. Which is insane that they can do that. You know, it's just amazing. It really is, anyway. especially at that age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She made it through her surgery beautifully. She's Excellent. been recovering in the pediatric ICU beautifully, and all has been going well until three days ago a doctor came into our room to tell us that another kid in the ICU tested positive for the freaking measles. Ugh. Gee, I wonder how that happened. Like, I saw that coming. I saw it yeah. coming. And at seven months old, she's too young to have received a measles vaccine yet. So right now, as we speak, we've been sequestered to a tiny cramped isolation room for the remainder of her stay at the hospital. She had to receive the IVIG that a kid with confirmed measles would get. And we had to wear masks 24-7 so our seven-month-old baby girl can't see mommy or daddy's face while she recovers from open-heart surgery. Mm. She has to stay isolated from the public and visitors for three weeks. And on top of the stress we've already endured through chemo, heart surgeries, etc., She's having to be treated like typhoid Mary up here as we have to stress over whether she's caught the measles or not. So my question to you is could you please add vaccinate your damn kids to the sign-off at the end of your show? Thank you for doing what you do. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yep. Can you that just come on. Yep. Get your vaccines. We saw Dr. That. Scott yep. is a traditional Chinese medical specialist. Mm-hmm. Some would call him an inter, an alternative medicine provider. Mm-hmm. Even he, and I shouldn't even say even he, but he agrees that uh we need to vaccinate our kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course and he doesn't have any kids, so it's easy but for I would. him to say. Yeah, but, but I would. Yeah. I would, you know, I, I, I mean it freaked me yeah. out too. I'm like, well, Hell, what if one in a million those people are right? Mm-hmm. But I did it anyway, mm-hmm. and uh, because intellectually I knew that it was the right thing. And look, these things are not without risk. There's no question about that. There is some risk to everything. There's risk to walking across the street. Hell, we could get hit by a meteor sitting here talking about it. Mm-hmm. The risk is not zero. Right. Uh, there are, but not vaccinating your kids because you're worried about an adverse event is like. And this is very analogous, not wearing your seatbelt because you're afraid of getting trapped in your car in a car wreck. So that can happen. One in a million, it's estimated, people who get in a car wreck will die because they weren't wearing their seatbelt. One in two will die because they didn't wear their seatbelt. And I'm talking about in a you know in a Automobile, major wreck where right. somebody could be thrown from the vehicle. Well, hell, even 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 in minor 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 wrecks without a seatbelt, you're at a huge risk of dying. Where you know minor wrecks with your seatbelt on, there's not yeah, certainly it's a much. Joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Doctor Steve, I, I was we were talking about this case the other day in our office. You know, because that's where I went to medical school is in Houston, and seeing you know five cases of measles pop up down there really is disturbing. Yeah, because it can be prevented and should be prevented. So of course, you know. Um, let's see here. Among drivers and front seat passengers, seat belts reduce the risk by 45% and cut the risk of serious en- 
injury by 50%. That's where I was getting that one and two. Mm-hmm. Seatbelts prevent drivers and passengers from being ejected during a crash. People not wearing a seatbelt are 30 times more likely to be ejected from a vehicle during a crash. So, come on. And come usually, on. Usually, that a person being a projectile is bad. Yeah, we're not designed to be projectiles. No. We're, we're meat. <laughs> we're yes, if you, exactly. if you we're jump meat, and we tear and break easily. From a 10-foot <laughs> building, oh. you're likely to yeah. to uh, die or... Um, hey, it doesn't take much. You know, it, it really doesn't take, take shit, that much. No. Mammals, mammals are really wimpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a, um, in fact, I've got a, I got a, well, I know of this case of this lady. She missed the bottom step of um, um, going down to to her laundry room. Just one step. Yep. Broke her ankle so bad they almost had to amputate her foot. Isn't that something? Yeah, just just one step. So it doesn't take much. So, shit, if you can do something simple like get a vaccination that's going to save lives yeah you know yeah let's do something do the smart thing get your kids vaccinated for hpv right it's the one cancer vaccine we've got other than hepatitis b i had another doctor raise that it's not specifically a cancer vaccine right but but chronic hepatitis b which can be prevented with the hepatitis b vaccine can uh, or is a strong risk factor for uh, hepatocellular cancer. So yeah, okay, I'll give I'll give you that one too. Mm-hmm. But um, this is the first vaccine specifically designed to prevent cancer, and cervical cancer sucks. And mm-hmm. um, you know it's um, just and when you look at at the at the CDC website, they'll say, well, there was an X percent of you know serious adverse effects with this. Um, they are considering nausea and vomiting as being a serious adverse effect. Okay. And uh, there's so much bullshit out there about vaccines that it's just stunning. So, mm-hmm. But look, if you have a, a um, uh, like, you know, I have people, we've talked about different drugs on this show, and almost every time somebody will call and say, uh, I heard you talk about such and such a drug. It's a bad drug. You know, it killed somebody in my family. And that when that happens, it's tragic. It's horrible. Yeah. Doesn't make it a bad drug. It made it a bad drug for that person. That drug may help. You know, Other you know, people. scads of people. Sure. Uh, there is a chemotherapeutic drug called Five Fu, and if you have a specific uh, genetic deficiency, you can't metabolize it properly, and it can kill you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make it a bad drug. Right. Uh, it makes it a drug that we have to treat with respect, and but it does a lot of good. You know, people with colon cancer—that's their primary, right. you know, treatment right now. Until we get into the whole immunologic thing full bore, which is coming very quickly. Yep. Um, but anyway, so so mm-hmm. yeah, if if you have an adverse event and it becomes serious and life threatening with a vaccine, it is tragic. But um, the uh, odds to the individual are very low. Of course, if it happens to you, it's a hundred percent, and and yeah, I get it. I, you know, I do. Um, but I, you know, we still need to vaccinate our kids. We got to drive our kids to school, and we get in wrecks. The the odds that you'll have a wreck driving your kid to school is far higher than the odds that your kid is going to be seriously harmed by a vaccine. Yes. Yes. All right. All right. Enough of that. Yeah, get your measles vaccine. Look at what it's doing to this kid. Mm-hmm. Seven months old. Poor little thing. She's fought like crazy. Yeah. She's doing well, you know. And yep, everything. Just, they sailed right through the surgery. Yep. 
and then now they're being, uh, like they said, uh, they're the ones that now have to they're go to punished, some little, right. <laughs> some isolation room because she's so at risk. Sure. You know? Bless her heart. All right. Sounds like from her history, she's going to be okay, though. Yep. That is. Hey, Dr. Steve. When somebody takes a sip of water and chokes on it and they say it went down the wrong pipe, uh, what's going on there? How, how many pipes do we have? Oh, I'm kind of curious about that. This is a beautiful, weird medicine question <laughs> because it's, you know, it's, it's sort of basic anatomy, but it's one of those things people don't always know. And you've heard it for years. And you've heard it for years. Yeah. So there are, there are, um, uh, a couple of pipes down there. So when you, you got your nose, right? And if you, you could Google cross section of the human head and then you can see these passages. It's kind of, sort of counterintuitive. The nose looks like it goes up. Yeah, and, and can I, can, and that's, yeah, so go you ahead. Do yeah. a cross section from the side. You're looking from the side. Yes, from the side. Yeah, right, yeah okay. Right, just right. to make sure people yeah. are on the same page. Yep. So um, if you, uh, the nose looks like it goes up, but it really goes straight back. Mm hmm. And uh, so if you put your finger on your nostril and then at the bridge of your nose, and then you can just take that, that line and push it straight back, that, that's sort of where the, the nasal passage goes. Now, it, uh, it opens up above the palate where you look in your throat, you see that little uvula, right? Mm -hmm. So what's be the space behind that? If you go above it, that's the nasal passage. That's where right. it opens up. So that's nasopharynx. In other words, the pharynx being the back part of the mouth, the very back wall. So the nasopharynx joins up with the pharynx, which mm -hmm. is the back part of, um, you know, on the just past your tonsils and on the other side of that uvula. And then that goes down um, uh, into your neck, where if you feel that sort of cartilaginous thing in the front called the trachea, most people know what that is. Mm -hmm. That is the opening to the lungs. Right. Okay? So the trachea, the cartilage in the front where you see your Adam's apple, that protects <laughs> that opening because our neck is kind of soft otherwise. So you've got this cartilage there. And uh, at that point... You have to. Um, we have air that's going into the lungs, but we also have food that's going into the stomach, going past the same area. Crisscrossing. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they go down. So, how do we keep yep, those yep. two things? Why is it that when you drink water, it doesn't just pour into your lungs? Right. And there is a, um, a a little device there called the epiglottis that, when you swallow, occludes the trachea. That's why you can't breathe and swallow at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it, it occludes the trachea, just kind of puts a little cap over it. Just like, um, yeah, well, what would be a good example? Something that's got a almost like a tea, Almost like a teapot. That, like a would, teapot. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, when the steam comes out, it pops Give yourself out. a bill! Like, a, uh, like the little lid on a teapot. Because yeah, it's a little hinge thing and, and it kind of flips up and down. Yeah, let's just say that you had um, two teapots next to each other. Mm -hmm. One was wide open. The other one had the lid on it. And you wanted one to go in the open one. You would close the lid to the, to the teapot. You didn't want it to go in, and then right. the water would go in the other one. So uh, when something goes down the wrong pipe, what's really happening is you're aspirating. That's a medical term for stuff that's supposed to go down your esophagus going into your trachea. Mm, and into and, your, towards and, your lungs. And ending up in your lungs. So yep. now this can happen lots of different ways. You're laughing and eating at the same time or you're in, inhaling something. This I'll see this a lot where people will um, 
uh, oh, I know, uh, like you're flipping an edamame into your mouth, mm-hmm. you know, but it <laughs> instead of going into your mouth, it actually, you're, and you're breathing, mm-hmm. and it goes past your tongue and down into your lungs. Mm-hmm. Now, what's your lungs' response to that? Uh, it's going to cough, cough it out. It wants to get it out of there, so you start coughing. And you get um, this sort of uh, constriction of the muscles around the trachea and constriction <clears throat> of the trachea itself. And you, you might even wheeze a little bit, and you're trying to get this thing out of there. Now, um, there are people who chronically aspirate, and that's because there's a lot of muscles that need to work in concert for this to work properly. Mm-hmm. And particularly when you get old and if you've got some dementia, you know, they stop working so well. Mm-hmm. And those people will chronically aspirate. And some stroke patients. Yeah. And of or, co- yes, yeah. sure. Yeah. Brain stroke patients, patients yeah. people like that. Yeah. And uh, they chronically aspirate. So if you feed them they and if you give somebody a drink or you give them something to eat, and they immediately start choking. They're probably aspirating. Mm. And um, that is a risk for, uh, uh, you know, demise in the next six to 12 months when that starts happening. Now, you can do a feeding tube in those folks, Mm -hmm. but the feeding tube doesn't stop the aspiration. It just facilitates nutrition. So uh, if if they're chronically aspirating, in other words, that that epiglottis is not um, Not closing all the way. Not closing all the way. Um, then you uh, uh, will also aspirate saliva. Now, if I had the choice between aspirating saliva or aspirating a chunk of well-done steak, the well-done steak will make you cough, but the saliva will cause pneumonia because mouth bacteria are just all in saliva, and you're just constantly putting bacteria in your lungs, and eventually you'll get a aspiration pneumonia, we'll call it, and those can be hard to get rid of. You get rid of it, and they continue to aspirate. It just comes right back. Mm-hmm. It's usually a sign of poor overall prognosis. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Why were we talking so, about? Aspiration? So we're talking about yeah, talking about when you when you drink water and it goes down the wrong hole. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, yeah, that's, that, yeah, it went down the wrong pipe, and that's yeah. literally true. Yeah, you've got two pipes: esophagus and trachea. And it went down the trachea instead of going down the esophagus. Right on. There you yeah. go. Good question, dude. Yeah. Now, we'll have people that will aspirate because they have reflux. They'll aspirate in the middle of the night. True. And uh, what's happening there is they're laying down flat, so gravity is no longer holding stomach contents in the stomach uh, because they're horizontal. Mm-hmm. And so that sometimes that lower esophageal um, sphincter. Uh, sphinc- well, yeah, the valve, which yeah. we call the lower esophageal sphincter, will open up, and then stomach contents will just flow up the esophagus. And creep up gravity. And, yep, and then uh, they can aspirate those as well. So you can imagine aspirating acid from stomach your stomach acid. is uh, no fun. Not good. All right. Hmm. Okay, I'm, what was I going to Good question. That was an excellent question. All right. Dr. Steve. Yes, sir. Been thinking about your question of how to uh, measure my big, meaty erection. Delightful. And I was out in the garage the other day, <laughs> and I looked over, and I looked over, and I uh, had my whole... Please say you didn't use your circular saw. <laughs> whole saw kit. And I said, you know what? I bet I can make me a template. <laughs> so I took me a piece of two-by, oh, and I drilled a hole for every hole saw that I had. And then I'm like, yeah, just kept on going up until I fit the right one. Oh, my God. And that's how I figured out how big old... Big my uh, big old media penis was. Thanks and have a good day. <laughs> well, there you so, go. 
the the reason we were talking about this, this was years ago. That call was actually from three years ago, and I'm trying to get through some of the backlog. We were um, remarking how crazy it is that um, uh, circumference is hard to for humans to judge. We can judge length, mm-hmm. and apparently, when our brains were developing, to, to, you know, deciding length was a survival instinct. In other words, if you can accurately judge length, you know where to shoot your arrow or throw your spear or throw your rock if you go back far enough. Sure. How far away is that saber-toothed tiger? Do I have enough room uh, to get into the tree before it gets me? That mm-hmm. kind of stuff. If I'm missing. But measuring <laughs> circumference almost impossible. So we were asked people, what do you think the circumference of your penis is? And they'd say, you know, like an inch and a half or two inches or something like that. And um, it's way more than that. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. If the diameter of your erect penis is, uh, that's that's an inch, so two inches, Mm -hmm. then what is the circumference of your erect penis? Mm, Five inches. Well, that's pretty close. Okay, pretty close. It's, um, you, you just made that up, but there's actually it's a formula two, it's for two that. Times it, it's two pi two. times the diameter. Okay, is the circumference. Okay, right. So pi like r squared would be the area, surface area. We don't care about that because mm-hmm. uh, you'd have to, you know, cut your, your dick in two and then look <laughs> at that and then go, oh, well, the surface area of that cut part. I don't want to do that, I but we're interested in the circumference. That, so it's pi times the <laughs> diameter. So. Um, well, let's just ask Alexa. We could estimate it, but I want to know exactly. Alexa, what's pi times 2? This might answer your question. Oh. Pi times 2 is 6.283185307182718. That was only an inch off. Did that answer yeah. your question? Yes, it did. Thank you very much. I don't have you her bet. effects on. Well, wait, why? Let's try that again. Alexa, what's the first 15 digits of pi? The first 15 there decimal we digits there we go. are 3.141592653589793 okay, and 3 and I got to remember to change her name because we're driving people crazy. Oh, uh, yes. And by the way, if you want to listen to us on her, you can say her name mm-hmm. and then say play Weird Medicine podcast. Yep. Cuz we had some people having difficulty. We are on Spotify and um, Pandora, Pandora. Now. yeah, Pandora yep. as well. Yep, yeah, it drives me fucking crazy when I'm watching television and, and they someone say says, her name that, yep, yep. and she perks up, and I'm like, just yep. go back to. sleep. I don't know the answer to that. Like, go back to but sleep, no honey. Shit. <laughs> I was always thinking with all that distributed um, processing with these units like mm-hmm. this that they would just wake up one day, and then I realized there's no way she's just as dumb as a brick. Mm-hmm. There's things that she knows facts and stuff but um so i will ask her well here watch it i so i have a list that's called tv shows because mm-hmm. i forget what shows i'm watching we watch so many things on netflix and sure. stuff like that and i'll tell her to put stuff on the tv shows list and she gets confused mm-hmm. even though i do it all the time right so uh alexa add patriot to my tv shows list I've added Patriot to my TV shows to your shopping list. See? And then, so she puts it on my shopping list. That's not what you need. No. no. And then if I – I'm not going to do it again because I don't want to piss everybody off saying her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I uh, tell her to do it, to 
just put it to TV shows. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe that was it. Does stop saying list? Mm-hmm. Then she says, you already have it on your shopping list. Yeah. That's weird. So that's a sign of stupidity. Yeah, they've got to they got to work on they got to work on those. <laughs> well, I don't bugs. care about that. I'm just bugs. not worried about her awakening and becoming an AI that's no. uh, going no. to uh, set off all the nuclear weapons yeah. and Hijack. attempt to yeah. cleanse the earth of carbon life. Not going to have any time. Not soon. worried about it. Nope. All right. Okay. Oh, so whole socket penis girth. So anyway, how about just measure it yeah. with a with a um, th- this is a dude's way to figure something out instead of taking. A um, uh, you know, like a uh, tape measure and measuring it around your cock. Mm-hmm. Um, you're drilling holes <laughs> in a two by two and then sticking your dick in it. There's nothing until like, you find one that fits. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> like getting a splinter in your pecker from That's sticking genius. into the damn hole. Oh my god! That's great. Well, it's not even that. It's just. Well, what what, what can I use my power tools for today? Mm-hmm. That don't look big enough. Yeah. All right. That's great. Dr. Steve, uh, I've got a vasectomy scheduled in a couple of weeks. Excellent. And, uh, cool. The doctor said that the follow-up is um, like an at-home uh, do-it-yourself um, sperm fertility check where you guess you jizz in this thing and then um, you put a some kind of an agent in there and it's, it turns like a, I don't know, plus or minus or whatever the uh, determining factors are. Um, I was just wondering if that's normal or if it's not or if I can get it checked some other way but uh, that's just what the uh, doctor has said he's he's done several thousand vasectomies over his um, 20 year career so I was just wondering if that's uh, normal okay so when I had mine they made me jizz in a cup I had to do it at work which was weird Hmm. And then later I found out I was in the bathroom where the door, the lock on the door doesn't work. <laughs> you think it's locked and it's not. And thank God nobody just came barging in while I'm jerking off. Well, it's for a sperm test. It's like, sure. It's for science. Yeah, it's for science. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I had oh to jerk gosh. off at work and then bring it because I wanted it as fresh as I could get it. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure it's the first time you'd ever done that too, right at work. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely was. And, um, but it was, um, uh, yeah, mine was okay. So what they're looking for is no sperms, no motile right. sperm Zero cells sperm. and no cells at all. Right. And so what this, since then, uh, what this um, home sperm test is, is a test that measures uh, a single protein that is only found in sperm. And I, honestly, I tried to find the protein. I think it's proprietary because yeah, I couldn't get any of these manufacturers to tell me what specific protein they're testing for. Uh, I didn't look very hard either. So if you know what it is, call in and let me know. Hmm. But uh, so what they can do is determine whether your sperm concentration is below 20 million sperm per milliliter. And what they sell these for usually is uh, people to um, determine whether, you know, if they're having trouble getting pregnant, the dude will jack off in this cup and do this test, and if it's low, then they need to go get themselves checked out. Mm-hmm. And if it's normal, then the woman may have to get herself checked out. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not all there is to it. That's not all there is to fertility, which is why these things really aren't very useful for fertility, because you could have 
lots of sperm, but they could all be non-motile. You know, what if what if you're genetically that you don't make tails on your sperm, so you could detect the protein, but they have to look under the microscope and see if they're swimming around. So it's not really very useful okay. for fertility, but it does look like it's pretty useful for determining um, uh, whether your vasectomy worked, as long as the uh it will give you a number of zero and be accurate so you got to ask what's the sensitivity and specificity of this test if there's any um wiggle room in that i'm not sure i'd rely on it i would want to get a technologist to look under the microscope and make sure that there's no cells there because this is indirect you're measuring these these proteins and there's usually some lab error in um you know, these immunologic tests sure. like this. So it may say, well, it's low. Does that mean zero mm-hmm. or does it mean low? Because if it's low, I could still get somebody pregnant. Right. Um, so I would want to know what test they're doing. If it's the one like you buy at Amazon or something like at Amazon, you know, at stuff.drsteve.com or somewhere <laughs> like that. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> then I would want to know how accurate it is sure. to determining whether your sperm count is zero. Now, the urologist may have one that they use that's more, more expensive and more detailed mm-hmm. and uh, more specific. And you want one to be extremely specific or, you know, you want it to be able to tell you uh, with 100% accuracy that you uh, have a zero sperm count. Right. And Absolutely. I'm not... I'm not seeing that in the tests that I'm seeing, but I may not be looking at the ones that the urologists are prescribing. So if you have any specialized knowledge on that, feel free to give us a call. All right. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Sarah from Twitter. So I was just calling to um, talk about the melatonin gummies that you talk about quite a lot. First of all, I think it's hilarious. When you talk about, oh, I want to take my vitamin and a delicious gummy. Oh, it drives me crazy. It's mm-hmm. the marketing mm-hmm. that adults need, need to be marketed to that they wouldn't have somehow the ability or the desire to take a vitamin that they think is good for them unless it tasted like candies, fresh little candies. Oh, it just makes me physically ill. You now, mean. melatonin gummies are awesome, yes. but I'm talking about the marketing. I'm not talking about how, <clears throat> why they're great, and we'll talk about that in just a second. I think that's hilarious. Well, thank you. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I heard you talking about she the likes it when I get infuriated. Um, a few shows ago, and I don't remember when it was, but anyway, um, and I had very, very, I had a very, very hard time going to sleep. So I had tried like I mean, 300 micrograms of the melatonin pills and I would wake up I think she must mean milligrams because mm-hmm. the 300 micrograms now yeah. they they there are some uh, investigators out there that think that melatonin should be dosed at a much lower dose than we buy over over the counter but you know they they're in a minority but mm-hmm. they they have some evidence to to uh, back them up but anyway uh, you know I take them at like I don't know 9:30 and then wake up at 6 a.m. And, and by the way, 300 milligrams is a huge amount of of uh, melatonin. That you know, yeah. be dragging ass out of bed. Mm-hmm. So, um, fast forward, and that was in high school. So now, um, I'm out of high school, of course. 
and um, I tried the gummies. Okay, let me throw this out there. They do make 300 microgram gummies. The ones that you buy at like the um, uh, the store usually are 2.5 milligrams. Right. So that would be, um, let's see, um, Alexa, what's 2.5 divided by 0.3? 2.5 divided by 0.3 rounds to 8.333. So that's the same as taking eight of those 300 microgram ones. So she thought she was taking a lot. Mm-hmm. I didn't real. I got to be honest with you. I didn't realize that they sold it in 300 milligram amount. So that was, you know, she was taking a very low dose back then. 300 micrograms. My three. What did I say? Milligram. Yeah, 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 yeah 300 yeah. micrograms. No, I didn't. Mean. Yeah. So she would have to take eight of those to get a 2.5 melatonin gummy, which right. may be the reason. So, but I can take. A five milligram Ooh. gummy. That's the same as sixteen of the other things she was taking. Mm-hmm. At I don't know ten o'clock, and by like seven, you know, take it at ten p.m. by seven a.m. You know, I'm I'm very well rested. Um, you know, I'm awake and I'm ready to tackle on the day. And those gummies have been like <laughs> the biggest lifesaver of my life. I. Like, I cannot go to sleep if I don't take my melatonin gummy. And they're really good. So, <laughs> yes, they're, yeah, just wanted they're to very say tasty. thanks for talking about gummies. And um, I was the one that called about the nipple piercings. So next time you're live, you shoot me a message. I can call in. Anyway. Give yourself thanks. a bill. Y'all have a good day. <laughs> Oops, I hit the wrong button. I'm Thank you. Trying to hit this one. Oh yeah. So anyway, so here let's just talk about melatonin for a little bit. Yes. Um, do you guys use it in? Uh, absolutely, you do. Okay. Absolutely. So did the traditional Chinese um, providers from a thousand years ago have some sort of melatonin? Dongqua, oh, something yeah. like that. That we, subsequently we find out had melatonin in it. Is there anything like that that you've come across? Not that I've come across specifically, but we've used melatonin for as long as I can remember for sleep. Yeah. And it works. You know, and, and it's funny. I had a patient similar to that the other day. That They were taking melatonin in the capsular form. Yeah. Taking it at midnight. He was taking three 10 milligram. Oh, that's what I said. That's I said, too much. That's way too much. I said, you know, number one. That's way too much. Number two, you're taking it at the wrong time because a lot of those capsules take two to three hours to kick in. That's why yep. you feel like crap in the morning. Yeah. So just exactly what she said is exactly what I do. The five milligram, to be clear, those five milligram gummy bears, which is what you'll see on most of the stores. You know, in, in yeah, the, uh, I stuff see two point fives, two point fives to fives. Yep. yep, and uh, that's the normal dosage, and yep. seems to be a pretty good. If you have number. to take more than that, <clears throat> there's something, something else, else going, going on. on. Yeah. And like I said, there are people that um, really think that less is more when it comes to melatonin. Let's just talk a little bit about melatonin. Your body produces melatonin naturally from the uh, pineal gland, and it doesn't make you sleep. But um, in the evening, melatonin starts to rise, and it gives you that feeling of quiet peacefulness. And we screw it up with our iPads and stuff. Gadgets. And blue light from TV or cell phones or iPads can interfere with the production of this melatonin. So I'm going to encourage all of you right now to go and set 
your blue light, all of these things now have a blue light setting on them or mm-hmm. a nighttime setting. Max that out. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it turns off all the blue and it gives your screen kind of a sepia tone mm-hmm. appearance. Mm-hmm. But I found that that makes a huge difference for my ability to sleep at night. Matter of fact, when I get in bed now and I get my iPad or whatever and, and start reading an article and I've, I've got that blue light turned off, I just fall asleep. I can't read anything anymore. <laughs> and I'm not taking melatonin anymore or anything. Oh, wow. So. I, um, I still take it every night. I love it. Yeah. It's changed my life, too. I'm with her. Yeah. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about sleep hygiene, too. So some people will stay up real late on the weekends and then have you know, have trouble getting up in the morning on weekdays uh, when they have to go to work. And I know it sounds like it's no fun, but you really have got to start trying to sleep at the same time every night, even if it's within an hour. Yes. But if you're like my kids, you know, they'll go to bed at midnight and get up at six on on a weekday. Even it doesn't matter how much I fuss at them. But then on the weekend, they'll stay up till three or four. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, and then it's like, and then they'll get up at 11, and I'm in their room, you know, going, look, you got to get up five hours earlier tomorrow, <laughs> and you're going to be miserable, you know? Mm-hmm. So sleep hygiene is a big deal. Um, if you have, um, a, let's say, a cell, uh, self, or not a cell, um, a cable box that's mm-hmm. got a blue light, cover that up. Yep. You don't need to see those dumb numbers on there. Just cover it up. Yeah. Um, and any other sort of uh, chargers that are giving off lights, cover those up with masking tape or something like that. You want to sleep in as dark a room as you can get it. Um, if you're sleeping, uh, oh, here's another thing. Don't work in bed. I see kids doing homework in bed. Don't do that. Bed for an adult should be for sleeping and having intercourse mm-hmm. and that's it if you do anything else in there because if you're working you're trying to fight to stay awake what you want to condition your body to do is when it's in bed go to sleep right so if you're fighting to stay awake while you're in bed then you're going to condition your body that being in bed means being awake so uh use the least amount of melatonin that you can possibly get if you're going to do if, uh, do it for jet lag uh, take it two hours before your bedtime at the destination and do that a couple hours before the trip. So, like, if you're going to Vegas, uh, well, if you're let's say if you're coming back from Vegas. Coming back from Vegas, right. And you're doing the red eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you want to do, if if your bedtime is midnight, your time, figure out when that is. So if you're on the East Coast, that would be 9. So you would take the melatonin at 7 on the red eye. And then you're going to hope to fall asleep around midnight your time. So when you get back to uh, the East Coast, when you wake up, you can stay up all day and then you can go to bed at a normal time. And that will really, uh, I've been very successful at avoiding jet lag altogether by doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, don't use melatonin if you're pregnant. Don't use it if you're breastfeeding. If you have an autoimmune disorder, a seizure disorder, or depression, all, always talk to your healthcare provider about these things mm-hmm. and uh, only use it as long as uh, as you can. Dr. Scott takes it uh, every day. 
But that's um, just me. I, I stopped taking it yeah. after a couple of months, and my sleep cycle was back to normal again. So you might want to see if you can do without it. Mm-hmm. I've always been nervous about taking a hormone for a gland that we don't understand very well. And sure. the pineal gland is one of those, oh, we don't understand it very well. Yes. No, I agree. I'm not telling people to do it because I do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do as I say, not as exactly. Scott does. Exactly. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, home sperm count. We did that. We did that. Oh, you know what? Let's take the rest of the time to talk about fibromyalgia. Okay. Sure. Um, because I've got a little bit of news on that. You know, it's a fibromyalgia. There are a lot of people that don't believe it exists. Well, you know, uh, it, what you you may not believe that the person that you know that's complaining of fibromyalgia has fibromyalgia, but it affects millions of people in the United States. It is a syndrome, meaning that we have a collection of symptoms and a criteria for diagnosing it, but we don't have a cause for it yet. They get pain all over the body with fatigue, headaches. Uh, They get increased sensitivity to painful stimuli. They may uh, have depression and anxiety, bad sleep, problems with memory or thinking. So you think, well, maybe it's that that's causing it. And uh, the CDC figures that it affects about 4 million adults. The problem is there's not a blood test for it. So a lot of doctors have misdiagnosed people as having this condition. Uh, They may have um, uh, uh, other rheumatologic diseases, uh, hypothyroidism. If you you know, if you're going to see somebody, you need to check the thyroid. You got to do a workup. Right. Um, You know, doctors miss about 60% of fibromyalgia cases and then misdiagnose uh, 11% of the people who didn't match the criteria for this. So in other words, they were saying 11% of the people um, uh, have it that don't have it, and they're saying 50% of people, it's more like 50, I think I said 60, uh, don't have it that do have it. Now, uh, it's still the gold standard. We don't have a test. So you have this list of criteria. you got to meet these criteria to have it. The good news is for fibromyalgia sufferers, when I, now I'm sounding like a commercial, uh, <laughs> there's been some pretty good data with a, um, an off-label use of a medication called uh, naltrexone. Mm-hmm. Now, naltrexone is a long-acting opioid antagonist, meaning that you can use it to reverse um, uh, the activity of opioids, including endogenous opioids, in other words, ones that we produce in the brain in the brain and the central nervous system ourselves. And you can reverse its activity. We say, well, why would you want to do that? Well, because when you do that transiently like that, you get an upregulation of, of um, um, endogenous opioids. In other words, painkillers that your body produces. And uh, this upregulation results in a significant improvement in symptoms in these patients. There's also other uh, uh, pathways this stuff works. Anti-inflammatory. Um, there, you know, there's uh, where the research is still going on. It's dirt cheap. It has to be gotten at a compounding pharmacy so far. It's 4.5 milligrams a day, and but you got to catch these folks before they get on narcotics for this stuff because once they get on opioid pain relievers for fibromyalgia, this won't work. Terrible idea. And um, and that won't work either. Those p- folks are still no. miserable, yeah. and they'll still tell you they don't feel good, and uh, the opioids are not really helping them. So. Yeah. Anyway. Can I add two cents into well, that? Yeah, you see the oh, clock. Yeah, so. no, I'll add it two cents tomorrow. 
October. Next week. Really? Next week. Oh, yeah. oh, well, just no, no, real quick. Other, other things. Vitamin D and increasing sleep have been shown to help fibromyalgia sure. suffers. Yeah. And probably acupuncture, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, never hurts. It That just makes you feel good all over. There so. you go. Okay, very good. Uh, many thanks. Always go to Dr. Scott. Uh, we can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul Charsky, Eric Nagel, uh, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, uh, Safonda Cox. That's <laughs> still in there. Uh, Ron, <laughs> ba- I remember. <laughs> and then Lady Diagnosis goes, is that a real, that's somebody's <laughs> name? <laughs> Ron Bennington and Fizz Watley, whose early support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel. SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemails and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time. Check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.